0: Welcome to Untying Knots Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello everyone.
1: Welcome back to Untying Knots Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with you and uh, have an interesting little conversation we're going to have today. But first, I want to start off with the classic reminder that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. This does not constitute working with a licensed mental health provider. Please, seek out one in your area. And if need be, consider online. Because, you know, there are many in your state that can still help. So today's podcast, which is in celebration for Pride Month, and it's the, our podcast that will be wrapping up this very celebrative month, uh, an interesting fellow that I've seen and read some of his work over the years, and then attending a Christmas get-together, <laughs> we actually had a chance to chat. And uh, as they put it, it's like, wow, someone who's not actually getting glazed over trying to talk about these things with comics. Yeah, so I'm a girl, as it is. I'm a geek, blurred nerd all the have. So who we're talking about today is Justin Hall. Justin Hall is a cartoonist, educator, and scholar. He is a creator uh, or co-creator of True Travel Tales, Hard to Swallow, and the Theater of Terror, Revenge of the Queers, and was in the publication or... Was has work in publications such as the Houghton Mufflin Best American Comics. You can tell, I'll let them <laughs> actually tell them, tell us what that, how that's actually pronounced, because you know my dyslexia gets in the way there. Yeah, yeah, it's,
2: it's Houghton Mifflin,
1: Houghton Mifflin. Houghton Mifflin. Houghton Mifflin. Okay, Houghton Mifflin, uh, the best erotic comics and the SF Weekly. Uh, he edited the Lambda Award winning. And Eisner nominated collections, No Straight Lines, for four decades of queer comics and was a producer of the feature length documentary film of the same name. Hall is the chair of the MFA in comics program at California College of the Arts and the first Fulbright scholar of comics and has curated international exhibits of comics and arts and written about comics for academic publication is a he is at work on graphic novels weaving mem- memorials or sorry memoirs of uh lgbt san francisco history for the abrams brooks for Abrams books so justin welcome to untying knots
2: <laughs> hello there thank you so much for having me
1: not a problem uh and thank you for correcting my pronunciation on that
2: <laughs> earlier too and <laughs> no worries it's 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 a tr- it's a tricky one it looks uh But it's uh, the Houghton Mifflin series has been going on for a while, and it's really uh, it took them a while to actually get their comics uh, line up. It started in two thousand six, and it's uh, because they have a Houghton Mifflin Best American Poetry, Best American Short Stories, Best you know all these different genres and media. And finally, it was they finally uh, added Best American Comics to it.
1: Gotcha. Well, we're going to talk about comics in just a second, but (laughs) let me ask the classic question of how did you get
2: here? Ha. Um, well, it's uh, it's funny. I was just having a conversation with my mother about this and she sort of looked at me. She was like, you took your weird childhood obsession with comics and your later obsession with queer comics and somehow made a career out of it. <laughs> How did that <laughs> happen? I don't really, I don't, I don't know if I have a great explanation, but um, I do think about this actually in, in regards to my students
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: because my students come out of our program and the, you know, we try to prepare them for, you know, a career of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. And I sort of fell into mine in, you know, a various sort of uh, um uh through a, a amalgam of of you know pure luck and sort of mm-hmm. dumb luck and um and you know some planning and uh some bullheadedness mm-hmm. <laughs> wound up where I am. I um for a long time I was a massage therapist uh uh, for over 25 years I love that work actually it really activated another part of my brain my um holistic uh gestalt sort of brain and and Mm -hmm. also sensual brain in terms of the senses and um and intuitive right it's a very intuitive process to figure out um the body and how it uh manages pain and tightness and all this stuff um and very different from the analytical work that I do as a scholar and the um and the uh, uh, creative work that I do as a, as a comics artist. So so I, I did that for many years, and that was my primary source of income for many years. Um, mm-hmm. But now, then I started teaching about uh, 12 years ago, I guess now, uh, in, at CCA, California, mm-hmm. California College of the Arts, uh, first in the undergraduate program, uh, teaching comics uh, through the writing literature department. And then we created the uh the mfa and comics program which i just became the chair of uh this year um so or last year um mm-hmm. so um that's been a big you know shift and uh, i don't do have to do massage anymore and sort of have given that up um and just make my living now with making comics themselves and through my art and then also through teaching which i really love um mm-hmm. and some administrative duties
1: oh yes those administrative duties don't yeah, you all not- just love doing that paperwork
2: Oh, yeah, spreadsheets totally turned me on. They're great. <laughs> Super cool.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I know you can hear the sarcasm in my voice, folks, people. <laughs> but that said, and, and you said we weren't going to even talk about massage, but hey, you brought it in. Yeah. Uh, but, but getting back to the aspect of comics, uh-huh. I mean, some would say that we've had quite the renaissance in this last 20 years with comics and the comic shows as well as all the movies with both MCU and the DCU, which is Marvel and DC comics, uh, universe for those who aren't paying, it, who aren't aware of this. And yet also the standpoint of where some would say we're hitting a fatigue event. Mm-hmm. What do you think about all of that?
2: Um, I, You know, uh, uh, unfortunately, in a lot of ways the I mean, it's one, been wonderful to see the sort of pro, the, the intellectual properties of of the mainstream comics world, uh, American industry, uh, the Marvel and DC universes in particular, it's been wonderful to see them being translated onto screen and sort of mm. you know, uh, have this other life. Unfortunately, they haven't, that hasn't meant necessarily big increases in the comic sales. Mm. So that the comics industry itself sort of doesn't get as much um, uh, of that blowback as it probably should. Um, so, um, y- y- you know, I... Uh, it's uh, superheroes, uh, uh, Superheroes. Uh, I actually teach the history of comics mm. class for my, for, <laughs> for my incoming cohort. And we go into, you know, history about uh, everything from the sort of French, the Franco-Belgian, European comics to manga, the Japanese comics, but also North American comics. And um, there is a sort of peculiar history to North American comics, which is that mm. um, they, uh, uh, you know, th- there was this big explosion of superhero stuff at the be- very end of the 30s, beginning of the 40s. Uh, by the time we came out of World War II, uh, American population was completely un- uh, disinterested in, in, in superheroes. The, the superheroes were absolutely out of fashion. There's mm-hmm. only three of them left after many, you know, hundreds were created, and and then they all went out of print. Um, and what became really uh, uh, popular was romance, uh, crime, and horror comics, in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all different kinds of genres, but particularly those ones and uh we started especially with the romance comics we started to see an increase of female readership and and the the um and the, the readership was getting older right it wasn't just mm. more um and uh what was happening was what ended up happening in the in the manga market really where things, mm. you
0: know
2: expansion of material and readership um but then uh, there was backlash against that with the tail end of the McCarthy era and uh this um uh, idea that that uh all these sort of unfettered comics material was causing ju- juvenile delinquency in our in our in our kids and young adults. Um so there was this massive blowback. There was a book called Seduction of the Innocent uh by Frederick Wortham that based in that came out in 1954 that basically said that you know, comics, these crime comics were creating juvenile delinquency mm-hmm. of our children and um, and, you know, Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman were making were making our children gay and lesbian, which, you know, fair enough that they actually hmm. to that point. I think Wonder Woman does. probably made me gay. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, so then the Comics Code Authority comes down in 1954. It's the most severe uh, sort of draconian form of censorship of any uh, popular culture. Um, uh, art form in american history mm-hmm. and you know you get these you know really incredible rules like um you you can't uh show any dis- disrespect for a person of authority you know a, a policeman or a, a judge or you know mm-hmm. a teacher uh you can never the, the vi- villain must always lose and be punished for his crimes there mm-hmm. can be, never, never be any like sexual perversion or all sexuality must be towards the sanctity of marriage
1: Anti
2: mm-hmm. like, queer stuff um, you can never have zombies or werewolves or vampires, no undead are allowed in the comics. Um, all of this stuff happens in 54. It's this incredible, it basically eliminates all these other burgeoning genres. And all that's left is like Richie Rich and anth- you know, anthropomorphic comics, uh, Mickey Mouse and stuff. And the, the couple of superhero titles that were still left. Mm-hmm. And then right after, and, and a, a couple of years later, Superheroes get, and, and that, that almost ends the American comics industry, you know, more than half mm-hmm. publishers went under, it became a sort of dirty word to make comics and it was, you know, synonymous with the worst depravities and, um, uh, and then superheroes get reimagined in the mid-50s and, um, and then the Marvel comics comes in in 1961 mm-hmm. and superheroes are further reimagined and become this dominant genre. So we're stuck with this weird industry in which um, this entire medium, which is capable of anything, right? You can
0: make comics mm-hmm. about
2: anything, Just like you can write literature about anything or make songs about anything. Um, but we're but we're stuck in the United States with uh, a medium that is 90% this one weird genre. So mm-hmm. I make, you know, erotica. I make uh, travel stories. Mm-hmm. I make um, uh, memoir. I make horror comics. I do all these uh, queer narratives and all these things that would be fairly mainstream um g- genres in most in, in most media but mm-hmm. because comics and they don't ha- they don't have american comics they don't have uh muscular men and women in spandex shooting laser be- laser beams from their from their eyeballs it's considered alternative or independent mm-hmm. so which is a little bit frustrating i love superheroes and i grew up with them and i have a lot of thoughts about them and we've talked about them for sure mm-hmm. um but it's also a sort of it's a love hate relationship right because it's incredibly infuriating that that it it, it dominates the publishing landscape for comics so completely um, and you really if you need to if you want to get out of that you um you uh, now there's ways you can know, go to the the book publishers which mm-hmm. is what I doing with this latest book I'm doing a big memoir and uh mixed with elements of queer San Francisco history um and that book's going to be published by Abrams books which is a big uh book publisher um a mainstream book publisher mm-hmm. uh, but the comics industry itself is still sort of uh, dominated by superheroes
1: um, right as well as then there's also the genre of the graphic novels too which more than also enough authors just doing other work have converted into like um the recent kindred one by um john jennings john jennings which is off of octavia butler's work or uh reeve Do's uh the keeper yeah, uh, yeah ones as well which i've got a few of those too
2: yeah so I think- john John actually teaches with us uh, he's one of my faculty members at, at,
1: oh yeah
2: and at, 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 at cca and um yeah and he also runs the megascope uh line for abrams mm-hmm. so he's uh he's uh, the group editor for a line of graphic novels uh by cartoonists of color
1: which I've got a couple of those books. Okay. And I'd love to meet them at some point, more <laughs> yeah. uh, that. But you know, what you just illustrated with that history is a very interesting one too. If you consider if what we consider, obviously at that time, especially from the standpoint of mental health, uh, wasn't where it is now, and the realization of you're looking at a, gener- a period of generation that has come back from dealing with World War II you've got a lot of people dealing with unrecognized PTSD, which also adds to this whole corruption of youth. And Mm -hmm. uh, because you've got so many families being broken up by the unrecognized, undiagnosed and untreated PTSD, not to mention then too, this notion, like you, what you said there about who you have to be friendly towards authority and so Mm -hmm. forth. Considering that authority was some of the things that brought this war about. Yeah. And two to the aspect that um, the idea that the comics could only be "quote unquote" for kids,
2: mm-hmm. absolutely.
1: So all of that sits into and becomes a part of the thinking of a couple of generations.
2: Mm-hmm. Which... And, and I would I would add that it's also because it's a visual medium; mm-hmm. um, it's, it's sort of considered more lurid, um, and that it's illustrated. It gives mm-hmm. it the, like. Um, Dangerous quality, I think, in the, in the the minds of a lot of of psychiatrists and psychologists. I mean, Frederick Wortham was a psychiatrist, um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: a German born, a German born American psychi- psych, uh, psychiatrist who had this crusade against comics because he was convinced that it was um, causing juvenile delinquency in American youth, and his his methodology was terrible.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and there was a Senate investigation into comics um, that you know couldn't find any causal relationship, uh, and but it's you know it's a sort of societal debate that's happened over and over and over again, whether it's, you know, the satanic panic from Dungeons and Dragons games to video games Mm -hmm. to, you know, and the Mm -hmm. comics were initially uh, considered, you know, they were taking children away from, from the church, because there were all these, you know, full color pages happening on Sunday and they were, you know, distracting children from, from,
1: from Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God.
2: So there's always been sort of uh, psychiatric slash psychological slash sort of religious and cultural um, uh, arguments against popular culture for you know uh, as long as we've had had it. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I would say about comics, there's also it's con- connected also to the concept of the teenager, right? So mm-hmm. the teenager didn't really exist before World War II. You were an adult, uh, adult child, and then you became an adult, right? And the emergence of a sort of uh, liminal you know identity was, yeah, which was you know has its mm-hmm. own culture, and that culture mm-hmm. is actually sort of in opposition, oftentimes to adult culture. Um
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was you know absolutely terrifying to the adults at the mm-hmm. time. And we think of sort of rock and roll as being the first as being the, the battleground of that. Mm-hmm. But really the first battleground was comics. And unfortunately the adults won. <laughs> right. Was, the comics but authority.
1: Right. Well and also the nature of who's being able to pay for the paper, the printing. Sure the distribution of, of those things mm-hmm. and of course there's also then that battle one two when we started bringing in lgbt elements
2: mm-hmm. yeah and there was um and certainly all, all different kinds of marginalized voices that were uh th- there was more opportunity for marginalized creators in the in the realm of comics um because of the sort of wild west nature of it right as opposed mm-hmm. to more established media like you know magazine illustration or something like that or or radio um mm-hmm. so um, but, uh, so you did have, create, you know, and also the comic book industry, uh, which is really distinct from the comic strip industry. But,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, the comic book industry really comes out of the Jewish immigrant experience in the United States. So almost entirely created by uh, those early comics, the Golden Age and even the Silver mm-hmm. Age, mm-hmm. entirely created by first and second generation Jewish uh, boys um, living in the, the ghettos. And I use the word ghetto from its original uh, meaning, mm-hmm. Jewish neighborhood. Um, in uh, in New York City, so um, the, so even a lot of the the sort of more some of the names like Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, who you know mm-hmm. essentially created the Marvel Universe, uh, they were Stanley Lieber and Jakob Kurtzberg. So it was anglicized names. Bob Kane, who created Batman, was actually Bob Kahn. Um, so they're mostly you know so so the, you know you're talking before about this idea of, of trauma. You know, mm-hmm. generational trauma coming out of world war ii well even before that the there was generational trauma coming from these jewish creators who whose families were oftentimes fleeing the holocaust and they were creating superheroes mm-hmm. and other and other source of comics um uh coming out of their own experiences and their families' experiences
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which just again shows how much one our need for escape mm-hmm. and escapism is a very critical thing mm-hmm. and what it takes and what gets created that we turn into a more healing modality. Because mm-hmm. how many people have enjoyed or found comics to be in whatever form they take, yeah. far beyond the superhero ones, to be a methodology for addressing healing, such as uh, one of the classic ones in the graphic novel series is uh, I Kill Monsters, which mm-hmm. I know is a movie that was made mid, mid, uh, like. 2015 or so forth Mm -hmm. but i remember introducing my supervisor at the time one of my supervisors to the idea of like oh here's graphic novel and it's talking about for those who haven't read it talking about the subject of death and processing that and that was an eye-opening for her to be able to see that like okay here's another way to explore grief
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely um i mean that's a um that sort of cathartic nature uh, or, you know, uh, addressing difficult subjects is, you know, obviously you can do that in any medium, but, and of course, I'm biased. I think comics are the best medium. So, Mm -hmm. Um, but you do see a lot of that. And you see increasingly um, in modern comics, right? Uh, A lot of web comics, a lot of, you know, especially like queer comics, um, Mm -hmm. uh, comics by people of uh, people of color, other marginalized groups, oftentimes talking about their, experiences um and their traumas in particular. Uh, there's a lot of stuff uh, around mental health, for example, mm-hmm. in comics form um that's increasingly important. There's a whole movement called graphic medicine,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is basically um, this idea of addressing uh issues around health in comics form. Um and a lot of that is uh is mental health comics. Um and you can really get at issues around mental health and really profoundly um uh profoundly accessible, but also uh, deep ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a recent book I just read, um, uh, Something at the Center of the Earth. I um, will look that up. But um, by a, a very young woman uh, dealing with uh, really severe depression. depression, And um, she draws her depression as this sort of monster that sort of looms behind her. And uh, it's, it's extraordinary. And it's uh, something that it's a depiction of, uh, mental disorder um, uh, in in comics form you know using the comics form to do this in a way that mm-hmm. is absolutely both uh haunting engaging uh deeply empathic um and, and uh very and quite powerful
1: which is that aspect that sometimes cannot be put in the classic state and there are no words for it Yes. So trying to put it in the in the prose form, which is a wonderful art form, but mm-hmm. just does not 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 always carry the same thing as the impact of an image.
2: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, but you know, comics are still narrative, right? So you can mm-hmm. still sort of have it more than simply a sort of a one painting or something like that, which you can mm-hmm. certainly cross a lot in that too. But but comics have that um, you know, additional uh they, they have the advantage of being both visual but also narrative, so that you mm-hmm. can you can construct more complex. Uh, uh ideas through the, through the course of the pages of the, that build a comic
1: mm-hmm.
2: than you can in a single painting for example yeah
1: and much the aspect of what it means for our queer stories mm-hmm. so Absolutely. some of the work you've done which was the hard to swallow and of course the theater of terror mm-hmm. so let's yeah. talk a little more about those as we're talking about some of the queer narratives that get to show up in the comic book or the yeah. graphic novel industries
2: so uh I created Hard to Swallow and started in 2006 and that was it's an erotic series. I had mm-hmm. been making uh true travel tales and some other like um some other stories as well and my friend Dave Davenport who, um came to me and he, I always wanted to work with him and he came to me and said okay I'm ready to do a comic with you. I was like great. He was like I wanted it to be porn I'm like okay all right here we go. Uh it wasn't I, I hadn't thought about doing that but it ended up being really good for me and my artistic mm-hmm. um evolution because I was coming out of a generation of indie cartoonists, um, mm-hmm. like a you know, Daniel Klaus, Chris Ware, uh the Hernandez brothers, people who who specialize in sort of understatement. Mm-hmm. Everything was the cameras pull back a bit, everything sort of small panels. It's a very restrained um uh aesthetic. Uh Adrian Tomine, people like that. Um
1: could, could and, you repeat that last couple of seconds? We had a glitch come up.
2: Oh yeah, sure So um uh so I was coming out of this um n- sort of nineties uh indie comic, early 2000s indie comic aesthetic, which was is mm-hmm. very sort of has a sort of coldness to it where the cameras mm-hmm. often pulled back, oftentimes small panels. Um uh you uh so people like Adrian Tomine, Daniel Klaus, Chris Ware, the Ernest Winters to a certain extent. And it's very restrained. It's known for its sort of restrained energy, and you can't do that with porn. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. It
2: just that doesn't work with with uh, with with porn. So you have to do the big dramatic, you know, money shots. You've got to do the uh, um, mm-hmm. the, the more dramatic um, uh, storytelling elements, and it forced me to break out of my own mold. Um, I started doing these, you know, uh, uh, angled panels and sort of, you know, decompressing the story time, uh, story time. Mm-hmm. You know, fewer panels per page, fewer words per page, um, thinking more uh, you know, manga does that quite well, for example. Um, and it, so really it really broadened my uh, abilities as a, as a cartoonist. I'm really glad I did this um, porn comics. And also we wanted to make sure, David and I wanted to make sure that that we approached um, erotica um, differently. You know, mm-hmm. it's often, you know, I, I believe that sex and sexuality and desire are one of the most prof- profound elements of the human existence, right? That's something that we have as a species, that's, you know, this remarkable blessing, it's mm. very different from any other species. Um, and uh, it represents one of the great profundities of the human and mysteries of the human experience. It's, it's up there with life and uh, with, with birth and death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and why are we oftentimes making really bad art about it? Because usually most pornographic art is terrible. Mm-hmm. and not as challenging as the subject matter. Um, so we wanted to make uh, a lot of comics that were interesting and challenging and also odd, ah, like you could jerk off to or you could you know, think about,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> or both, mm-hmm.
2: right? So for example, like I was talking to this one friend, I, I, I used to do porn myself, uh, I was a porn actor for a while and I had met this woman who was, um, she was a femdyke who mm-hmm. uh, would write uh, gay male porn reviews under an assumed male pseudonym. And but she was telling, she was talking to me, and she said, "Well, I used to strap my tits down and go and suck guys off in the back of the powerhouse bar, which is you know this gay cruising bar in San Francisco, and that was just fascinating to me. So I did a comic about it, and you know I tried to make it really sexy. It's an erotic mm-hmm. about you know with her sucking these guys off, and then and then she gets caught, uh, and and she was caught actually by this one guy, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the guy then got more turned on because it was so um, you know sort of uh, edgy for." For him to discover that it was actually a woman sucking him off. Uh, and then getting mm. got even more excited. So um but I wanted that to, you know, to talk about mm. how gender is fluid and sexuality is fluid and, and it's it's sort of an interesting thing, but it's mm. also be arousing. So um so that was our uh, attempt with, with this with this work was to uh, make stuff that was uh good narratively challenging, interesting narratives, um, but also uh, hot. Um and theater of terror. Is also taking the genre, is taking the genre of um, of uh, horror and mm-hmm. using you know that for queer purposes. Uh, I edited the anthology with William O. Tyler. I put the thing together with Peaches Christ to help as well. Like she's the sort of Elvira, mm-hmm. that's sort of um, lacing the book together.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, wrote for the stories, illustrated one of them, and brought all the other cartoonists and um, and it was really uh, a, a wonderful experience putting that book together um, to see how queer creators would approach horror in so many different ways, everything from like camp humor to psychological horror to, mm-hmm. or to, you know, and, and taking the sort of like queer spins on all of it. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, the other thing I, the other, the, the book I'm most known for is mm-hmm. the Trans- Four Decades of Queer Comics, which is a compendium of LGBTQ plus comics um, mm-hmm. from the late sixties through the, when it was published, which was in 2012. And um, it, Uh, That was sort of, it took years of research, and I basically dug through all these different um, uh, archives, uh, finding and talking to creators and finding this material uh, that was mostly published within a queer media bubble. Mm. That was distinct from the rest of the comics uh, world. It was in a parallel universe to the rest of the comics industry. Um, Queer material was usually serialized in queer uh, newspapers. Uh, collected and published, you know, published by queer presses, underground, you know, lesbian or gay presses, um, uh, distributed by queer pu- uh, distributors, sold in feminist and queer bookstores. Mm-hmm. Um, so they existed within their own parallel, their, their own universe and had nothing to do with, uh, with the comic book stores or comic conventions or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I was worried as that media bubble was disintegrating because we, we ended up losing almost all of the queer newspapers and bookstores and everything um, and, and public but publishers, um, I was worried that, that material would be lost. Um, so that was my impetus to, to gather all of that and really create a, as close to a comprehensive history of that as I could.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think was one of the biggest factors in that sort of disintegration?
2: Um, I think some of it was um, uh, the rise of like Barnes and Noble and these big sort of conglomerates um, that put all things that were independent in or underground at jeopardy. Um, part of it was also the increasing acceptance of queer people queer people, right? You, um, to get a book out there in the world um, early on, you know, mm-hmm. bookstores wouldn't sell this material. Mm-hmm. So you had to go to a specialist bookstore. You had to go, stay within this community in order to get the book out there, or uh, get the work out there. So uh, you, you could only, you know, talk about queer issues in queer newspapers. You, they mainstream news- newspapers didn't want to talk about queerness. They, didn't, they wanted mm-hmm. to protect it and exist. So as we became more accepted, um, uh, it became... Uh, uh less nece- you know it became less necessary so uh, Barnes and Noble would have a queer section um and and um and that took away a lot of the the uh the need for uh the the queer media bubble The problem mm-hmm. is that as that uh, falls apart you lose some of this um internal conversation that was happening within community right so some mm-hmm. of this material could you know move over into a mainstream setting. <laughs> and have no problem sort of making that leap but something mm-hmm. common, so something like something like uh diane Python homicidal lesbian terrorist mm-hmm. ever be mainstream right it's not moving like, over to the mainstream bookstores
1: mm-hmm. yeah which is a part of the larger conversation we're also having in our communities too about losing spaces and recognizing what spaces what they meant and what What could they also permit us to explore that can't be, shall we say, in the mainstream and main acceptance factor. So, okay. So let's let that sink in for our folks here. And I think this is a good place for us to take a break. So stay tuned for our second half here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with Justin Hall, cartoonist, educator, and scholar. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be back shortly.
0: voice america at facebook.com forward slash voice america for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating untangle and grow counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from visit us on the web at UntangleAndGrowCounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit UntangleAndGrowCounseling.com for more information. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, all. Welcome back to Untying Knots,
1: Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, Licensed Marriage Family Therapist, here with Justin Hall, cartoonist, educator, and scholar. So, so we've just been talking a bit about comics and especially queer comics and the work that Justin has been doing, uh, but you were also talking about in one of your more recent projects uh, in our off period here, we're talking about some poster work you've been doing. So could you enlighten us more on that, please?
2: Yeah, actually, uh, it's you know apropos of uh, this discussion uh, during Pride Month. Um, uh, in 2020, I was commissioned by the San Francisco Arts Commission to do a series of uh, posters that were installed in the bus kiosks along Market Street, which is the main thoroughfare mm-hmm. of San Francisco, uh, commemorating the 50th anniversary of Pride, of San Francisco Pride. Um, and so what I did was I, cre- I researched six moments in queer San Francisco history, and I had, uh, att- uh, attached a color to each one of them to represent the six colors of the rainbow flag. So each, uh, and I created these poster sized comics that were installed in the bus kiosks. Each one sort of monochrom- monochromatically color- colored. Uh, one of them was the founding of the Daughters of Bel- Belitis, which is a um, the first lesbian organization. Um, there was Compton's cafeteria riots, which was this. Moment where um, drag queens and gender non-conforming folks fought back against the police three years before um, mm-hmm. Stonewall, um, and um, uh, the running of Jose um uh, for uh, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors—the first time an openly queer person had run for political office in the United States—and um, also a, mo- a sort of a moment of early drag queen uh, uh, activism, and. Um, uh, the Toolbox, which was the first um, uh, gay leather bar that was in South of Market, and the mm-hmm. sort of formation of the Toolbox and its uh, legendary mur- mural by Chuck Arnett, and then the first Pride itself. So I, um, uh, it was really an interesting project because I'm, um, as we were talking about before, queer comics were always existed in a a parallel universe to the rest of the world and to the rest of the comics market. Um, And that's changed quite a bit recently. So since my my book came out, the No Straight Lines book came out, we've seen uh, queer comics and queer graphic novels win, you know, Eisner Awards and sort of be, you know, centered in the industry, which has been a remarkable transformation and really quite exciting. Um, uh, but um, so so, you know, but this this was sort of a further evolution of this, where basically this was public art that was mm-hmm. totally queer. Um, I was really interested in uh, the idea that people who don't even read comics could be walking down the street and just see this work and read it uh, and cover mm-hmm. this this history, the still a fairly hidden history of, of San Francisco, because you know queer history is uh, usually swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not doesn't usually get passed down within families it's not in textbooks so you really have to sort of dig to find it but it's really mm-hmm. important history right so um and it's important not only for queer communities but just for the sort of overall makeup and legacy of San Francisco as a city um and uh, influences all sorts of different kinds of of uh communities so um Uh, it was really exciting for me that this idea that people could just be walking down the street and and discover this stuff and start reading it. And, you know, comics are a very intimate uh, reading form. It's Mm. usually a small book and you sort of open it up and it's a personal, you know, engagement. Um, But public art is very different. So uh, that was just really exciting to, to know that people who don't read comics, who wouldn't ever open something up and may have no interest, normal interest in or access to queer history, would see this material um and also queer is walking down the street would, mm-hmm. would see it and say oh right this is the legacy that uh, of my community um this is these are the people who fought for me to have the rights that i have now and um let's honor them right and let's n- n- discover their histories and honor them which
1: sort of brings up something that uh, i know as i've heard on another podcast but i've also know i've spoken with one or two other people which may show up in some of the Previous episodes of this was the fact that for every culture, usually your family is, is part of the way of knowing and understanding and maintaining that. But when it comes to those of us as LGBT queer, we have to basically establish our family of choice to start knowing and just maintaining that history, if it, yeah. if it is at all, let alone being taught. And equally, and another part of, to that element of our disappearing spaces is also the financial wealth in that too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's a uh, uh, it, the community in um, community building and sort of history and legacy is um, is very very different for queer communities um, than others, uh, precisely for the reasons that you said. Um, so, um, I mean, we're lucky in San Francisco to have a. Uh, we to have um, uh, community at, um, organizations such as the GLBT Historical Society and the James Cornell Center in the San Francisco Public Library, for example, uh, the Herstory Archives, places that where you could find um, queer history. But you still need to know where to look. Mm-hmm. You still need to dig, right? Um, it, uh, it's been interesting. I. Uh, um, so uh, after doing this this poster project, my agent and I pitched it as a book to mm-hmm. to Abrams, and and this is where I got my contract for the Abrams book. The the but the initial pitch was let's do this book about queer San Francisco history. I'd already done all the research for these chapters, and I would put little bits of interstitial memoir elements in between mm-hmm. the different chapters in order to kind of give everything context. Um, but Abrams looked at this um, project and said, well. We can't sell a book of regional career history, but we can sell a memoir, a graphic mm. memoir, because uh, the the book publishers in general still have a sort of hard time getting, you know, their imagination around uh, what graphic novels can do. And mm. so what they really know is Fun Home, Persepolis, and Mouse, right? And they're all memoirs in some way, mm. right? So, so now my book is, is an inverse of what I pitched. It's mostly memoir with Mm -hmm. little elements of, you know, small chapters of queer San Francisco history embedded within it, sort of woven within the narrative. Um, But one of the things that, you know, so I have to talk about my own gay-ass life in San Francisco. (laughs) I've been here for over 25 years and been pretty gay the whole time. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then how does that, how does my life now uh, intersect with, uh, how has it been influenced by, um, the, these moments in, in queer San Francisco history that I didn't even really know about necessarily until fairly recently. Um, but there are senses of legacy, you know, like, and how mm-hmm. does, then how do we imagine a future? If the, it's easier to imagine a future once you understand the the course of the past,
1: mm-hmm. uh, course of history.
2: Um, one of the things that you, you know, you mentioned, like, how do you... Um, uh disseminate uh culture how do you kind of continue mm. culture when you're not doing it through family mm. well um we also have the added problem you know my generation i, I believe yours that uh with hiv aids right basically you know eliminate you know just you know
1: eliminate an entire section
2: i mean yeah essentially Several generations, generations. Got, yeah, yeah just got you know uh just bulldozed and um so what it meant was the sort of older men that should have been Mm. And, you know, bringing us into the community and sort of teaching us um, mm. uh, our daddies, so to speak, right? Like they mm-hmm. weren't there, they were fighting for their lives. Um, so it's, you know, it's really, it's, it's, um, it's really, it's especially important to be able to honor people uh, with our histories who lost their lives and weren't able to sort of live out the completion of of of, of their lives that should have been.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And that's actually been a subject I've I've talked with a couple of my clients about uh, who happen to be older gay men. And the standpoint of the set is like, well, we don't actually have good examples of what does it mean for an older, mature man, gay man, to be restarting relationship or dealing or even seeing older gay couples, LGBT, uh, lesbian, trans, Uh dealing with life and dealing with life issues. I mean, we've only got the standard ma and paul kent
2: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, that's right Um,
1: which in and of itself is becoming very much a rarity as again the traumas that people have not been paying attention to are also showing up and dividing these relationships
2: and the fact that we don't we didn't have that 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 um, model for us means that as we then provide that that service for for younger gay men or Mm -hmm. younger queer men by by gay Mm -hmm. men um that we don't have this the proper training (laughs) Mm -hmm. so there's sort of like a a ripple effect that can that you know carries down for generations from this Mm -hmm. time um uh, one of the things that I was really happiest about so I was the producer of a documentary Mm feature-length documentary film no straight lines Mm -hmm. for comics which sort of comes out of my my book um and one of the things I'm Proudest of is that we were able to um, show Howard Cruz, who's sort of the godfather of gay comics, um, with his partner Ed Cedarbaum, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, they were you know older gay men. Uh, Howard since passed, unfortunately, but um, uh, th- we sh- we showed them sort of sitting in their in their armchairs in front of the television, mm-hmm. with their you know TV tray dinner trays and eating dinner and giving each mm-hmm. smooch and sort of commenting on, and it's it's delightful. And just and you realize. And it's so heartwarming and you realize you, you so rarely see images of older gay men
1: mm-hmm.
2: just in sort of living a, a normal life and loving each other. Um, mm.
1: Same thing with women, same thing for our yeah. friends. So and non-binary, which is becoming now a factor as we sure. have more people going past age 30. Yes. Yeah. And having relationships. Yeah. So who knows, maybe it's one of your next pieces.
2: Oh yeah, no. We we had we actually had um uh. So the other people in, the, in that movie are Alison Bechdel, who did Fun Home, and Dykes to watch out for Mary Wings, who created the first um, uh, lesbian comic book, Jen Camper, who's an mm. uh, incredible lesbian um, cartoonist from New York, and um, uh, Rupert Kennard, who created the first queer black characters in comics. Um, and so we we got to see some different kinds of uh, modeling for for that generation. But I, I do think that that queer men in particular got. I mean, I, they got decimated by aids and so that's Mm -hmm. really important for us to see that very true so
1: with all of this this is also creating these materials and so forth how is the education around comics and especially (laughs) informing the next generation of queer artists that are developing comics comic books comic strips, and graphic novels
2: that's uh so another aspect of the film is that um uh we we filmed with um you know, the, the focus of the film was were these five pioneers uh, of queer comics mm-hmm. from that generation. But then we, we wanted to have a, um, a Greek, we had a Greek chorus essentially of younger cartoonists who were commenting upon the work that the pioneers had done. And it mm-hmm. you know, both provides context for the work of the pioneers, but it also shows the audience that Queer comics have evolved and continue to evolve and, and bring in different kinds of voices. And, um, and that's, that was really wonderful. Uh, and having that sort of intergenerational, um, communication was really mm-hmm. so, uh, Jen Camper and I also put together a, the queer, uh, queers and comics conference. Uh, Jen that mm-hmm. in New York and I helped her, um, moving forward in San Francisco and back to New York. And one of the things that we did was, was, um, put these uh, di- different generations in, in conversation with each other. So, for example, one of my former students, Lawrence uh, Lindell, a queer Black cartoonist, was able to then meet Rupert um, mm-hmm. and uh, be in a panel with him. And that he could sort of see that Rupert had, you know, been fighting this fight back in the late you know 70s of, of Black queer representation. And, and so that he wasn't alone in creating this kind of material now, that he had a sort of role model to look to. And then Rupert mm-hmm. could turn and see that his, his struggles or his... Um, his output was, ended up having this wonderful ripple effect where he could open the doors for people to create you know, more of this work in the future. Um, mm-hmm. And then we were able to film that in the um, in the movie and sort of uh, film Lawrence talking about Rupert and sort of the importance of seeing Rupert's work. Um, and it, that was, you know, that's incredibly heartwarming. As an educator, like, that's mm-hmm. what you live for, those sort of moments.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And more of your work with what you're doing at the california college of arts too because uh, i think as you mentioned there is not much like what you said with the uh, muffin miffin uh where it is like they took a while for them to have a comics branch of this what's it like teaching there with this branch for comics and how can more of our lgbt interested artists find their way to you
2: yeah. Uh, I mean, please, you know, th- we have a BFA and an MFA now in comics at, at CCA and uh, they're extremely queer friendly. I'll say that mm-hmm. uh, our faculty is probably half queer. Um, and um, uh, it's, you know, I, I, this there's been this remarkable, as I said, evolution from mm-hmm. uh, the early days where queer uh, comics were so marginalized to now queer comics are very much centered in the industry and, um, and that really reflected by our program which is again uh has a lot of faculty students and uh who are queer and uh and bipoc and also um uh the reading lists that we provide Mm. and sort of content the uh educational content that we provide uh really sort of try to center all these voices that were they used to be so so extremely marginalized um uh but yeah it's been really wonderful to see comics which were so i love the diy aspect of comics i love the Mm fact that there is this sort of punk rock, you know, DIY um, uh, history to comics that's really hardwired into it, uh, where you know you can really make great comics with a ballpoint pen, some pieces of paper, and a photocopying machine if you have to, mm, right? Hmm. Um, and people have for for decades. So, um, but at the same time, uh, it's a really uh, profoundly complex and interesting and um, rich art form, and so deserves scholarly interest and mm-hmm. deserves um, uh, programs, you know, uh, at in higher education that that make this to uh, focus on making this kind of material. So, I'm very proud of the fact that we get to be in sort of this, uh, one, you know, one of the first generation, basically the first generation to really take it to this level of. Um, uh, in the academic world. I, I wish I, am sort of jealous of my own students. I wish that I had a program that I could have gone to and, and studied comic art when I was uh, taking college. But um, but it's wonderful to be able to provide that and, uh, and really exciting to uh, make comics and study comics at that level.
1: Very nice, very nice. So let's go ahead and wrap this into... Uh, my classic question is what do you, especially given that this is for pride month and this is, we're going to be focusing on LGBT components in this, what do you think are some of the myths and realities around mental health, especially for us as uh, LGBT, but also for those of us who love comics?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it's, it's important to think about, um, maybe think about representation and how that. And, and what that means um you know how do we see ourselves in the world uh, how do we see ourselves reflected back in the world um mm-hmm. uh, uh, so representation really matters mm-hmm. you know it you know it, it literally saves lives um so um uh, it's really important that we not only have um, m- material within the mainstream that is maybe not about
1: sorry we, we hit the glitch again
2: yeah no worries um <laughs> so uh, should I start with re- re- uh,
1: representation?
2: Yeah. So uh I think it's important to think about representation. Uh that representation really matters, like it literally saves lives. Um mm-hmm. uh, uh, and you know it's important for us to be able to see ourselves uh reflected back at us from the from the world. Um as to to confirm to validate our own existence, basically, and mm-hmm. think about Mary Mary Wings, who was in our film uh and in the book, um uh, she created the first lesbian comic book. She didn't know the word lesbian until she was nineteen. She thought she, that she was completely alone and had no mm-hmm. idea that she was, you know, that she was uh, that anyone else was like her. And if she went mm-hmm. into the library to try to find books about this or something, all she would find would be things about it being a mental disorder. So mm-hmm. to have, you know you know, and then she basically was like, okay, I'm going to make the first comic book about coming out as a lesbian so I can make sure that people younger than me don't have this experience, like that they can see themselves, find some sort of media to see themselves reflected back to themselves in a healthy way. I think that's extremely important. Um, uh, It's important also within the mainstream, right? So Mm -hmm. in the past, um, uh, the mainstream comics would completely eschew any sort of uh queer content or, or, or characters or themes or plots um, it, uh jim shooter who was the the mm. editor and chief of marvel comics in the ni- in the 1980s famously said that there was no there were no gays in the marvel universe he just didn't right. right there's nothing homoerotic about these these men and women dressed in, in spandex that like, grappling with each other <laughs> um so um you know, so it's up to the queer underground basically to mm-hmm. to provide representation. But then that's changed, and now you have, you know, a lesbian Batwoman. You've got a, a bisexual Superman.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so, uh, and that's really important. We we need that, right? It's uh, especially for younger audiences that maybe want to see them see themselves for the first time, reflected back and real, and it sort of validates their identity. However, it's not really um, the job of Batwoman or a Superman to talk about really deep, you know, complex issues around queer identities, right? It's not, it's Mm -hmm. it's more the place of the queer comics uh, to dissect and analyze and celebrate and, uh, um, you know, poke fun at and do all, do the sort of deep work around uh, uh, identity um, and community building, all that stuff. Um, So we need both of those things, right? Um, But I would say the uh, sort of, there's a danger of the one, the uh, qual- qualifier would have about that representation is that mm. we also can't uh, just assume that uh, representations are sort of one-to-one affair. Right. Um, so for example, uh, in the X-Men, uh, my favorite X-Men was always Storm. Always Mine Storm. too. I mean, she's the coolest, right? And mm-hmm. and there's even like, you know, I'm a white gay man. There's now a white gay super, uh, X-Men character, North Star. Never really liked North Star. hmm so, I'm glad he exists. I'm glad that there is that representation, but representation is not about a one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so Storm is still my favorite and could be mm-hmm. star's ass anytime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And they still, they need to do much better writing for her and uh, I mean, for even the, a couple of uh, story arcs that have just been purely hers. Then it's just like, can we bring in some black female writers to yeah. continue to flesh her out because she is yeah. such a dynamic character and under respected.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, and there is that sort of um, it, it's it's interesting. It brings up this issue um, which is related to the idea of representation about about uh, about sort of creators' uh, identities. Um, uh, the relationship between that and the characters that they create, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I will say that sort of, um, that is something my students think about a lot, and we think about a lot as faculty. Um, th- we're in a moment uh, culturally where there's two different uh, forces, that, uh, sort of opposing forces. One one is that we, you know, as creators, we need to uh, create more diverse uh, characters and world building and storylines that you know really represent the diversity of the, the actual diversity of the world around us, right? That's an incredibly mm-hmm. important project to do. On the other hand, we're also told to stay in our lanes that we shouldn't mm-hmm. pr- presume to write for someone else's experience. So those two things, obviously, there are times when they sort of butt up against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Threading that that line is can be quite challenging.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
2: So it's an interesting it's an interesting moment uh, to make work, right? Like how do you? Uh, so for example, in uh, my book, I'm doing with Abrams um, uh, based on these poster poster project. Um, my memoir, I'm, I'm writing the whole thing, but my memoir se- segments I'm illustrating, but I'm mm-hmm. reading other uh other illustrators to illustrate the historical chapters whose identities more closely aligned with the subject matters of those mm-hmm.
1: chapters. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh,
2: for example, the Confidence Cafeteria Riots is being illustrated by Bishak Song, who's a, a trans woman of color. Um, not that Bishak's, uh, you know, uh, experience, mm-hmm. life experiences really d- directly relate in any sort of one-to-one way with the... Uh, the queens that that revolted um against the cops and um mm-hmm. at comptons but she has a different perspective on transness and um than i possibly could right so mm-hmm. that collaboration i think will yield you know really fruitful results um uh but it's it's an interesting moment like how uh, what what are what's the power of representation i think it's got incredible psychological and and sociological power uh what are the, what order its limits Mm-hmm. And how do we, as creators and and uh, audience members, uh, readers, uh, engage with that?
1: Very nice. Well, where can folks find you and find more of this work? Because uh, there's your website, more links to Abrams. So where can folks find you if they want questions or they want to find their way into your class?
2: <laughs> well, please come check out, if you're interested in getting, getting an MFA or a BFA in comics, please visit uh, California College of the Arts, uh, so cca.edu for sure. Um, and then my own work is at Justin Hall Comics, sorry, Justin Hall Awesome Comics.com. Justin Hall Comics got swiped by some hacker, you know, <laughs>
0: uh,
2: you know the trolls and hackers out there, I don't know what happened, but uh, it's Justin Hall Awesome Comics, all one word, dot uh, com. Uh, and um, uh, the film is No Straight Lines, uh, thefilm.com. Mm-hmm. um and there's links to my publishers Fanographics, abrams north northwest press on my website so all right material there
1: well justin i want to thank you so much for coming and having this chat with me and may we we'll have all our listeners to hear about this history and hopefully get a better understanding that it's not just all about the spandex <laughs> the,
2: Even if it's, spandex
1: is fun it's fun and it can give us be very nice in form shaping. <laughs>
2: but
1: it's not all about the spandex.
2: <laughs> well, that's that's a wonderful way to to uh, to leave us on a on a Pride Month, Barry. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been Thanks. such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honor.
1: Likewise. So please, folks, check in next time uh, for our next uh, podcast here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls, and Tethers. Be safe and enjoy your Pride.
0: Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.